Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Sans Pants Radio, Australia's happiest podcast network. Hey everyone, welcome to Bookish. I'm George Dibrells. This is a show where we ask you what's your story and what does it say about you. Today on the show, we have the co-founder and co-director of a gaming development company based in Melbourne, Nick McDonald. How you doing, Nick? Hey man, I'm good. It's a it's a nice crisp morning in Melbourne here and um, I'm finally finishing off my coffee. I'm desperate for coffee number two though already. That says a lot about me, I think. That's that's. I mean, it is it is ten o'clock. You know, it's it's late enough to be. It's worth ten. It, yeah, it's time for two. We'll yeah. get the three, and then four by twelve, and then it's lunch. Okay, now you're really starting to already hit some cliches of a gaming developer. I feel like. Oh, so I think that's a cliche of a Melbourne person, to be <laughs> honest. Like I wasn't, I didn't wasn't into coffee until I came here. Oh right, where, where are you from originally? So I grew up in the outer west of Sydney. Oh. Uh, in my school was in like the Pembrokey area. You know, the place with the flooding recently. Um. <laughs> And, like, all my friends were in... It was a school where everyone was from around, so, like, you had to drive, like, an hour to see anyone. Um, so, the Blue Mountains, Lower Mountains, Penrith, Cranebrook, Windsor, which Richmond, Hawkesbury, kind of areas. It was a massive region, so uh, it was all very spread out. Um, it was a weird part of town. I haven't been back in a long time because I left home to study and then... Uh, and I've been in Melbourne ever since, besides a temporary stint with my parents' house in like 2014. Right. So did you move yeah. to the city, uh, to Sydney to stu- uh, study? I'm guessing you studied no, something to do with gaming? I moved straight. I, I left New South Wales altogether and I moved to Melbourne to study game development. Oh, is that because, is it Melbourne better for that or is that just where you ended up? Uh, the, the actual answer is because I didn't get into the course I wanted to get into in Sydney. <laughs> and I found out, I don't know if most people know this, when you're in school, you can apply to every single state. Um, and I was very fortunate that I, my parents were able to help finance my time in Melbourne for the first year until I got a job, um, until I could pay for my own stuff. And yeah, I got into a better, not a better course, just like a different course that I would prefer in Melbourne. And I took that option. Yeah, I, I guess it turned out well, but it's, it's like I didn't get into the arts degree I wanted to get into in Sydney. <laughs> right. So this is all a second option. <laughs> Basically, yeah. I wanted to, I was, I was, a, I wanted, I was doing a fine arts and, uh, what's it called? Fine arts and computer science. So it was going to be, I was going to be painting and learning how to program. Oh, wow. That's yeah. a, that's a great combo. I feel like. Yeah. I, I, I think it still is like basically what I'm doing now, which is kind of funny. Like hmm. we, we make art and we do programming, like, and we use programming to, to form the art. Right. So it's <laughs> somehow it's still worked out. Yeah, I know. I agree. I think it's like, especially in that sphere, I think, uh, yeah, you, if you're, if you're in the sort of like, entertainment or actually it doesn't have to do with entertainment anything to do with its public facing and its tech i think it really helps to have that grounding in some sort of design to like know what you're putting out there yeah you know totally again? yeah that's um <laughs> before we started also <laughs> there's a lot of different things i want to talk about like what <laughs> you you clarified very quickly that i say gaming development not gamer 
Oh no, we didn't even see gaming. No, so gaming, gaming, there's two there's, there's two reasons. One, gaming to the Australian government is the gambling industry. That's what they refer to as the gaming industry. Okay. Um. So because when we come as a company, we're not a gaming company because that that means we're we make gambling like poking machines, right? Oh. Uh, and the other reason is. Uh, it kind of like makes it kind of devalues the work. Like we don't spend a lot of time playing the games. We didn't make them. Um, so we just say game development or like, I, it's when, when I'm talking to some old person, I just say I'm an artist. Um, <laughs> yeah, that'll make you respect you more. <laughs> yeah. You know, under, I'm an artist, but I have a job. Right. So yeah. like I'm one of one in a million. You just say um, uh, tech and then they'll be more impressed. Oh, that's a dirty word. No, we don't want to be tech. Gaming tech. Game, There's nothing but game, positive. <laughs> Game development is so weird, man. Like, it's just, like, not... I met tech people, and I just... I'm like, I feel like I should be a lot like you, but we're just not. It's very odd. Um, I think it's a values thing. Like, uh, less uh, intense? Or we're definitely to... less intense, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's a it's an intent and it's a value thing. Um, because we build our companies because either we couldn't get a job, like me. Like, I couldn't get a job. There were no jobs in Australia at the time in 2014 and um or you go to a company because you want to create something you want to create a cool thing experience because you had cool experiences as a kid or as an adult and you want to make that for other people and you want to share a story or a value or a, a piece of design or just have a, a, a pure experience of like gameplay uh and the at the end of the day the product is all that matters like uh the, the profit whether you make it or not it's like you reinvest all of that into the next thing right yeah. like it's it's about making more of the games and getting better at a craft rather than um, building a company to exit, <laughs> I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, yeah, essentially it's that like you're in it to make, yeah, I guess artist is the right word then, the way you're saying that because that's what you're doing. You're sounding yeah. like someone who's making, if I'm writing a book, yes, I want it to be successful, but it's because you want to write a book. So he's like, if you, you want to make a game. Totally, yeah. Oh. Like a, a director who does really well in films will often make more movies afterwards, right? Yeah. <laughs> um yeah it's cool um so yeah whenever we get compared to tech it's just kind of funny to me uh yeah. having having sort of seen the two sides so, so compared so closely but actually being so different yeah i think yeah i mean they are i i, I agree with you i and I, I i have a soft spot for gaming i obviously because who doesn't when you grow up in a certain age bracket like especially yeah. like for me i actually think of all of all the companies in the world has to be like one of the probably the top five most interesting companies ever would be Nintendo, just yep. because like definitely they're, interesting. They're just such an interesting like because they're like they're eco- economics, but they're also tech, but they're also gaming, and they're also art, and they're like entertainment. And like, they used to make toys in the eighteen hundreds. Yeah, they're just like such a varied and interesting like nexus point of so many different things. I always feel like, and that's actually I feel like gaming in general kind of. Sorry, gaming, uh, video game playing. Just video games. <laughs> you can say gaming. It's fine. I, 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 we know what, what we mean in this context, you've, right? You've thrown me completely. I'm sorry. <laughs> I know. Yeah, it's, uh, you just don't want to get association with the neckbeard types. I get it. I get it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Even though they are probably yeah. based customers as well, right? Uh, they're not all. Um, I think the audience has expanded a lot. But um, yeah, that, that there's also, yeah, there's just like, I'm a gamer, right? You don't want to be associated with that. Um, so... Um, yeah, Nintendo. I think Nintendo's a really interesting company. I think they make they take for a company of their size, which I, I what I love them for is for a company of their size, they take a lot of risks, mm. um, and not just in uh, the digital products, but also in the hardware. Like they'll make something that's different because they know that like innovation is their way to success, not like um, 
like EA, right? Like they succeed by putting more money into a thing that they know will succeed. And mm. then it's like the better version of that thing. Mm. Um, whereas Nintendo is always generally, generally uh, like, you know, we need to try new things. We need to be the exciting one. We need to be the, the different one. Is a portable for a company their size that has as many like moving pieces and as much money behind them as they'd have that like, you could sort of imagine like all the boardroom people being like, no, 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 no. Like, you know, the, the grumbly men, um, in their suits saying like, why do you want to do handhelds? I thought handhelds were dead. It's like, no, no, no. This switch thing's going to be good guys. Yeah. Oh man. I a hundred percent. And like, that's the thing people don't realize like, is in how many, like the amount of money spent on something like a Wii U <laughs> like to bring it out. And it's almost just a test run for the switch. For the switch. Yeah. And, like, it's the prototype. It's a pro. And like, so it comes out, it doesn't do that well and whatever, but like what it leads to like that amount of commitment to that idea. It's just, and then the switch is just, dominated everything just like the Wii did like completely different directions and then it just changes redefines an industry almost in its own way it's yeah it's I feel like yeah and, and obviously grew up on all the Nintendos so I've got a very soft spot for them as well for that reason so, yeah yeah <laughs> did you um oh fuck we should talk about the book before we jump back around um, <laughs> but like one last question before we do though you used to play a gamer your whole life uh, yeah, mostly. Yeah. I think I had a period of my life where I didn't really play a lot of games, but when I was very young and then sort of as an early teenager, like I, there's the weird like five to 10 gap where I just didn't really play games for some reason. I think I liked sports a lot at the time. Um, liked going outside. I lived in a, we had a nature reserve surrounding our like suburb. So like the suburb was completely surrounded by a nature reserve. Okay. Um, so it was like get every, every afternoon I'd get out with my friend who lived down the road and we would get on a bike and like go for a ride. And we were like, there was, there was like a dirt, there was like a jumps track. Someone had dug into the, the bush. Uh, so you just go and play there. Um, I mean, that makes a lot of sense why there'd be a gap. <laughs> you're like, so yeah. Weird. I was going outside. And then when you get to like 10, 12, you're like, mm, video games. Yeah. Um, but yeah, when I was really, really young, it was like um, Sega and I didn't have a, a NES. I had, we had a Mega Drive as a kid. And then when I got a little older, it was a 64 and then at my first Xbox and stuff like that. Mm. Yeah, and now I'm guessing a uh, part of the and and did you when you studied did you want to go into gaming? Is that was was that what you wanted to actually do from the start? When I was studying at uni, yeah, yeah. Um, I think honestly at the time I was just like, well, I really like games. I thought a lot about them for a lot of my life. I had tried some stuff in school as well, like I'd tried like making little things, but I was pretty awful at it. I something had just not clicked yet, um, and it wasn't even really until my third year of uni that it clicked. Um, because the degree wasn't particularly good, um. But it was just like, like I met the right people and then we did a couple of game jams and then it all kind of came together. And then like my third year, we just did like five games in one year. And then the year later, we started the studio. Right. Um, Steampunks, uh, I mean, Samurai, what you got right now. Samurai Punk, yeah. Yeah, Samurai Punk. That's what you got. That studio you started with just a friend of yours. Uh, yeah, me, me and Winston started the studio after because he had a game he wanted to make. Uh, he'd already done the prototype and I was like, yeah, I'll do the art for it. Uh, I did the art and sound on that game. He had started it like in December of 2013. And then in in March, we started the company because we, were, we had finished the game almost. And we were like, oh, fuck, we need to start a company to uh, release this thing. Right. And it and it did pretty well? No, it didn't. It did really badly. That was um, Hazamino. It's our first, it was our first mobile game. But in January of that same year, we had done a game jam to start, which became Screensheet. And then Screensheet became, got signed by a publisher, which... Didn't give us any money or anything. We just the confidence boost of having a publisher sign with you is like a big deal. Mm-hmm. And then we um we released that in August of that year, and then that did 
also quite badly, but just enough to get by. And then we slowly turned it into a thing, released it on the platforms, and you know now we're here. Right. Okay. So you <laughs> have seven games later. Yeah. How many games later? I think about seven. All right. uh, I should know this number off the top of my head, but there's some games are smaller than others, so it's hard to be like, oh, we did seven games. One of them took six weeks, and one of them took two years. That's a. I mean, that, this is already. It just fast. Like again, it's just such a cool combination of like business and yet art. That's why I find it like gaming is obviously any of the entertainment industries like that, but like. Yeah, because you got a team that works on this for such for a while and then brings it yeah. out. Um, were there any like, yeah, it's just cool. And, and you're making enough to get by and you've grown your team and everything by the look of it. Yeah, yeah. Since then, uh, we went from not paying ourselves to now having, uh, we got 10 staff um, all full time. We got a couple of programmers, some artists, myself and Winston, and then uh, sound designer. We have an apparel brand manager as well. So we have an, we have an apparel business on the side. It's which we're tied is tied into the business. I'm wearing some of our apparel right now. Nice. I see. Um, but yeah, yeah, we've uh, we've kind of grown and changed a lot over time. All right, and is there is there one big game that like if I was going to be like if you were going to say ah oh, check out our game, which one would you recommend? I guess is there one <clears throat> now? I would say Justice Sucks Recharge because that's what's coming out, and it's the game we've been working on for a little while now. Yeah. Uh, but people know us for Screen Sheet, which was and Screen Sheet Unplugged, which was our sort of uh, most successful title to date. Um, and it's got a, it's had a lot of legs too. Like people are still buying it now and playing it and having a good time with it. Nice. And is that, what's that available on? Uh, that's on everything. Uh, all P, like PC and console. So it's on Switch, Xbox, PS4, and PC. That's sick. That's so cool. I love that. And that's and it's uh yeah. And I guess this has all been aided by the recent from mind. I have been a little less engaged in the gaming community in the last like few years. I used to be an avid hyper reader every month when I was younger. <laughs> I don't know if you yeah. remember that magazine, but uh. Uh, yeah. Now, but it does seem like now indie games has become such a big part of the gaming world compared to obviously a few years ago, probably like a while ago now. But like now, it's uh, like- yeah, it wasn't even a really like your average consumer wouldn't have even known about them until like 2011 or 12. Mm. And now it seems like everyone like it's just part of what you do. Is everyone, everyone yeah. buys that? Stuff. It's like the other games you play are indie games. Yeah, you don't just play. FIFA or something, right? Yeah, exactly. That's which is great. Like, it just seems like a really cool and like it allows someone like you to yeah build this thing. Which yeah, again, I'm a huge yeah. It's it's it seems to me like a fascinating new cool industry. But anyways, let's jump. Let's talk about let's talk about the book and we'll jump around from there. So yeah, your book of today that you've chosen as your favorite, which you were forced to. <laughs> what is it again? If you want to list, uh, it's Labyrinths uh, by Borges. Uh, I don't know how to pronounce his full name. Um, oh, is it the Labyrinth or Labyrinths? I think it's Labyrinths, plural. I think Labyrinths. Um, and it's a series of short stories yeah. um, about the infinite and concepts of the infinite. Um, that's the sort of summary of it, I think, as, as mm. best I can put it. Um, yeah, that's I, it's it's a book that's – the reason I chose it, I have tons of books that I really like, – I was going to pick a, one of my favorite Kurt Vonnegut's, but like – you know, it feels a little tripe to say Slaughterhouse-Five is my favorite book. Um, <laughs> it uh, It's because it stuck with me. There's a few stories in that book that, like, I still think about. And, like, they either haunt me or they're just, like, fascinating. That's always a very good sign for a <laughs> – it's like, that's a, that's a great sign. Um, is it yeah. – a... so, I've – it's weird because I have only recently kind of had him in a bit more in my sphere. I've actually never read any of uh, Borges' stuff. Oh. So, I'm a newbie to it in that sense. But I've been – planning to sit down and this does seem like a good starting point uh labyrinth yeah um I, I i haven't read much of his stuff um but 
I, I think because it's it's very small, like overall, it's quite a short book. Um, and you're getting these little bite-sized pieces and they're presenting different, uh, some people like describe them as like parables rather than like a story explicitly. Um, you're getting different snippets and different ideas presented to you. Um, I think it's just a really fascinating read. Right. Um, can you remember any of the uh, ones that stuck with you? Can you think of any? Yes. Yeah. yeah. The, the the absolute one that like consistently sticks with me. And I think it's the one that's like, no, no, I don't know if it's a notable one from it. Like when people talk about it, I don't know. Um, it's about a monk. I don't know the name of the story. Um, it's about, because whenever I try to look it up to show someone else, they'll be like, hey, you should just read this bit. Because uh, it's only like 10 pages long. Hmm. Um, it's about a monk living in the forest. Um, and he uh, meditates on the world and eventually envisions another human or another person or entity. Uh, and by meditating it on so deeply is able to create that entity. Um, it like f- physically create it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, through a process of, uh, like destruction around in the world around him discovers that he is part of a chain of these people creating each next the next person in succession forever. So, um, they've been, he is just one of many. He is a figment of someone else's imagination that was brought into life, um, and going on and on and on. Um, and it's uh, it's it's really tragic, um, but also kind of really cool. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I mean, there's <laughs> there's so many directions I could already go with just that ten page story. So like, like both about uh, like why did you why did you, why did that hit you so much that that specific story? I guess I'll ask first. Uh, I think it made me feel small. Um, and it's, it's, it kind of, I think maybe it validates part of my worldview of like, like just in general, I, I'm trying, like as a person, I think is very privileged. I came from a a very privileged background. Um, I'm in a position of great power. Now I have staff under me. I read this sort of in the middle of my time working at Samurai Punk. Um, and it's like, I could do so much damage in the world just by existing and I could do a lot of good within this, within this little pocket that I kind of have power within. Right. Um, and I am trying my best to do some good within that pocket. Right. So, uh, it's almost like a, a warning fable sort of thing. Like <laughs> to, to me, that's that, that's just like kind of what it reminds me of. It's just, a, it's a constant reminder. I think a lot of that, the book, um, um, is a reminder of, uh, of that. Of uh, just being part of a greater whole, right? Yeah, and not 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 letting your ego like take over. <laughs> yeah, uh, being being able to acknowledge the the work in a team or a community. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I mean, that's, that's really important in a leadership position in any company. I think. Yeah, is that something you felt like uh, tested at times? Yeah, yes, constantly. I think that's that's the greatest weakness of someone, especially because we started, we neither had me and Winston neither had experience at other companies. So we didn't, we didn't get to watch someone else make the mistakes we're making and we didn't get to learn from those mistakes. So we have to, we had to make every single mistake that a business owner, both a business owner and game director makes. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, some of them we managed to avoid by just making like sort of smart value judgments. But I think we made, I think we made most of the mistakes that most people make. Yeah, right. Um, and we have to learn from them. We have to suffer with the consequences of those mistakes, um, whether that's the staff member leaving because there's an incompatibility or it's because um, we fucked up something with our tax and now we owe money to the government that we didn't know we owed. And now we have a tight couple of months. Um, mm-hmm. So 
uh, or it's just like trying to like keep the team motivated and remember that they're like, they need to have just as much impact and just as much like, yeah, we're talking about creative works, right? Like, um, we're all trying to build something together and like, they're putting two years of their life into something or three years of their life into something. Like it needs to mean just as much to them as it means to us. Cause at the end of the day, the game might fail and we might have to let them go and they need to have something worthwhile to have contributed. Like to, at least from like a emotional sense, like having, having an artifact of themselves in there as well, they can point to that and say like that, my, my contribution, my contribution to this creative work was this. Um, it's not just ours. Uh, it's the whole teams. Right. Now that, that's a, uh, did you, I guess uh, to go down that for a sec, um, do you look at other companies uh, that are, kind of like yours like do you talk to them to try to get some guidance you know what i mean like other other gaming companies or companies in general that are kind of just young and then growing is that something you did yourself or did you never yeah we were kind of fortunate uh in 2015 we made a decision between paying ourselves a slightly some kind of salary or renting an office in a co-working space and we took the office option because we said we would be more productive and then maybe we'll make money later um, that turned out to be the right decision. So we were part of a co-working space that was all game developers. Um, and we were very fortunate to find some mentors there who were much older than us and much more experienced than us. Um, so some good friends from Mighty Games, uh, Tim Man Games, um, Tony Reid, who used to run the GDAA, um, and learning from them. Oh, and like uh, our friends at the Voxel Agents as well, like, learning from them and them out even when it's just a conversation like how do you put a game on a console right you have that conversation um and they you end up just having coffees or talking and you you watch them also make similar mistakes that you're making you're like okay one like it'll take a long time to get this stuff right Mm -hmm. um you may never get some of this stuff right like some of it just might be a flaw within your own personality that you need to learn to deal with and cope with but also you can watch them do things well and you can be like oh we can learn from that and you can just ask them straight up over a beer and be like, yeah, like, how do you guys handle, like, when you have to let someone go? How do you tell the team? Like, how do you tell the team about that? How do you keep keep everyone confident and motivated in the project and the design? Mm. Yeah, because that would probably be something which, uh, actually, as you mentioned, if, it, if it's a two-year project, probably there's periods in that. If it's anything like anything, there are periods where you're like, what the hell are we doing? This is the garbage. <laughs> that's that's totally what happens. You get You have the 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 peak of opportunity at the start where you're like super excited about it and it's so good and that lasts for a little while and then you get into the once you get past it and you're just in the production and you know what the game is you're making it and you kind of got some kind of goal in mind of how much of it is going to be made or what it's going to look like but you're just kind of working on it um that lasts for like 80 percent of the project <laughs> and it it, it goes up and down throughout the whole process where you're like you get moments of inspiration and you're doing something really cool but then you're just like oh, i'm back making levels for screensheet again and it's really fun but also when you've done like 10 levels and each level takes a month each like it can get pretty grindy mm. um and then towards the end of the production all you're doing is qa and bug fixing so you're not adding anything you're not changing anything nothing everything's static the only thing that you can really take away like that helps motivate you is be like you got to think about where you started like at the start of that production or the start of like okay we're going into certification which is like um consoles validating that the game is ready to ship at the start of that process and then you look at the game at the end you're like oh my god this is both like really stable and like really clean and like very crisp little package that's like rock solid and like a really good experience for players and you're like if we didn't go through all that pain of cleaning up all those issues 
it would have been just a mess and you would have want you wouldn't have wanted to play that as a as a user so it's like but <laughs> fixing bugs and like uh spent yeah spending a week in the game doesn't really change is like well not weeks sorry months in that part <laughs> um so it's it can get pretty demoralizing yeah, I was say, but at the end yeah. of the day people play it and they give you feedback and they they say it's really good and you're like oh i didn't realize it was good because <laughs> yeah, I, I was like so in the weeds <laughs> on it right all i'm remembering is 50 trillion bugs <laughs> and nothing yeah. changing yeah yeah that's uh, that's pretty funny yeah actually it's funny you talk about the creation of a uh, like this world and the story that spoke to you the most in labyrinths was about a guy creating another guy yeah <laughs> was that like like obviously that you could look at that as an artist creating something i guess was that um something did you create much when you were younger or was that actually just something that happened as you started going into game design uh when i was younger i was like i think i meant yeah i mentioned i was wanted to be like a painter but um so when i was younger i was like sketched a lot like i drew a lot um i do like little crafts projects with my dad sometimes but mostly drawing and then um as i got older it's actually weirdly weirdly didn't even happen until end of universe start of university (laughs) Um, but I also like, uh, got really into oil painting, which was because I, I was, for some reason at school, I tried acrylics and I just couldn't get the hang of it. Um, but something about oils, I really liked it was the, the, the weird smell or the fact that the colors just mixed really nicely. And I was a big fan of, um, shoot, there's an Australian painter who's a surrealist, uh, from the fifties who I really liked. I can't remember his name now. Bill, uh, doing these paintings about the war and Yeah. That was, so I, I mostly just did uh, like 2D, so static uh, artist's work. I didn't do anything interactive really until university. Nothing that I could hand to someone and play. Mm. Um, so I, it was that gap, I think, was a real struggle for me for a long time is like knowing that I wanted to make games, but not knowing how to get there was really tough. Right. So is that, I'm guessing uh, that's more your, that's, that's what you brought to it as much as uh, anything else was that style though, that design, that look? Well, I guess initially I was the art director at the studio and now I'm, I'm, uh, I try to focus more on design, uh, and gameplay feel and like, uh, the things like, it's hard to describe, uh, it's, it's the things that is hard to describe about the game, the Jonas Sequoia. Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, the game feel, um, just like, what does it feel like to move in a straight line and why is, is that intrinsically satisfying or is it like, uh, or how does the player engage with these systems, um, and are they rewarding uh, that kind of stuff? So, uh, but when I when I, yeah, initially I was the art director and leader, or the only artist. So I, I basically it was through like networking that I managed to like actually start to make stuff because we I found Winston who was at the time more of a programmer, um, and we were basically like a power couple because he was able to do all the programming. I could do sound and, and I could do aesthetics basically like sound and visual. And then we just had to work with a composer and we were able to like make stuff. Um, and it was really cool. Just like being like, Oh, that's all it takes. We can make a whole video game. Just the two of us. Right. So that was pretty powerful. That's real cool. Yeah. That's like, yeah, you get, and it's, it's a thing you're creating and it's going out there. People are liking it. That's uh yeah, that'd be empowering. Sounds like pretty, uh, uh, you were a fine art guy. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, did you, so like to tie it in again, uh, it lo- sounds like it's kind of reflected in your book choices if you're reading something like Labyrinth it, as a favorite. <laughs> it is now, yeah. I didn't read much as a kid though, weirdly. I, uh, a couple of fantasy novels here and there, but um, now I read classics. Um, so my other fallback go-to was going to be Crime and Punishment. <laughs> ah. 
That's um, wow. Okay. So now there's the weird connection that if anyone has played screen sheet and they want to know why all the art is kind of like neoclassical and like 18th century or 17th century, like it's got a little datedness to it. It's because I was reading war and peace at the time. Um, <laughs> it's so, yeah, I, I really like Russian literature. I really like, um, I mentioned Vonnegut, um, like modern, modern ish literature, but now I've recently gotten a, a bit of a, like classic mythology kick. So I've been, I read Gilgamesh and Ramayana. Um, I got Popovul on my shelf. I need to read. Cause I, I sort of tweeted at one point that like, if you like English, like literature, you absolutely need to read these like Eastern classics because otherwise you're a piece of shit. Um, <laughs> and you're just like a, being the colonialist that you are. You tweeted that. Um, I don't know who, did, who tweeted that. Yeah, are you saying you tweeted that? No, no, someone else oh, did. Say, and I'm like, it's judgmental. that's fair. That's, that's, it's judgmental, but it's fair. Um, like, you know, we, we, we ling, live in that like European canon, mm-hmm. right? Um, so it is really good to see some stuff outside of it. So I, I also read, um, Tale of Genji and Journey to the West. So just trying to like get a bit of a more broader, uh, just reading sphere. Yeah, yeah. I've had Tale uh, of Genji in my uh, ebook for fifty years. I just never actually sat down and read it. It was it was not what I was expecting, <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, compared to to the other stuff, it was um yeah, it was like all, I didn't realize it was like uh just a court intrigue story or a series of court intrigues. All oh, right, um, yeah, I, I had no idea. Yeah, I've got yeah. no idea. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. What it's about. Is it entertaining? Like, and easy, actually, speaking of that stuff, though, and I think this is an issue. And I, 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 did a, I always do a Wikipedia show, so I haven't read the book. And it looks yeah. like Labyrinth or Borges in general he suffers from um, translation issues a lot of the time. I don't know if you're <laughs> no. aware of that, but that's the thing which uh, apparently even in Labyrinths, one of the complaints is that there's a few different people translating throughout it. So the different right. stories have been done by different people. So there's apparently a bit of a, uh, a variance in the quality of the trip. Like some are great, I mean, but then other ones not so good. I wouldn't be surprised. Like they're, they're complex things to describe and- uh- the there was a quality variance where some one of the, a couple of the stories were just straight up boring. So there is a chance that, that those are the ones that didn't stick out to me. Mm. Um, 
Like Library of Babel is another one that's like notable, but that might have been one of the well-translated ones, right? Yeah, who knows? Well, I mean, like, I think the the idea can still get be good even if the translation doesn't capture the proper uh, poetry of his language, I guess. Yeah. The story's yeah, still cool. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's um, always been my concern with hitting up these uh, some of these classics because, yeah, you're always like... Yeah, I mean, like, I just read Iramayano, which was like, it's a condensed prose version of the poem, and it's got all these notes from the person who did the... Con- con- the and it's translated from, I think, I assume from... Uh, Tamil, I think, was the language it was originally translated from. And it's like, how many layers of abstraction am I missing here? Because mm. it's like, it's a conversion from a po- from a, seri- a very long poem into a condensed story. And then it's translated into English. Right. Um, so I think a lot of it's like, a lot of, well, Amy, the, the person who did the conversion even says like, I just, I just removed this section of the story because he just describes the wedding for 5,000 lines. And that's not interesting to you. <laughs> Right. So, but it's like, um, I guess I'm diving into those to get a sense of like, uh, their importance, like even just, just a glimpse of like, this is important to a culture that is not mine. And to even have a start at understanding it, I cook a lot, um, as well. And I found like there's some weird overlap between, um, wanting to cook more and wanting to read more broadly, um, <laughs> Don't uh, ask me. Wanting to I, cook more broadly and wanting to eat more broad. At, yes. Uh, and wanting to read more broadly. Really? Yeah. Well, it's food has a lot more history than like the current media we're consuming. Or the, the current media we're consuming has history, but it's like distilled right through all the stuff that came before it. Whereas if you're eating food, some of this, these dishes are like very, very old. Um, and the reason they are where they are is very important. Like why is gumbo in America, in, in Southern America, like the way it is? And it's because of all its history with the slave trade, right? And with the colonization of the um, the US. But like tracing that back and sort of getting a better sense of like history at the same time. I don't know. It's um I'm just trying to like just trying to be a a bit of a better sense of like our place in the world and how bad we are in it. <laughs> That's interesting. It's it's all interesting. It's also like being interested in history, right? No, yeah, no, I, I love it. And I, I do uh I get where you're coming from. Like is that, and like is it a conscious effort? You're like, okay, I'm cooking this dish. Let's look up what it's about, where it's coming from. I'm really interested in that. Like, are you forcing yourself to do it a little bit or are you just naturally, you've always been that way? I just, I, now that I kind of am starting to become aware of like how much more deeply things get rooted and how things transfer around. It's like once you once you notice that something feels off about something, you're like, this is weird. Why is this like Japanese dish using curry powder? Right, like, and what is curry powder, and why is that in Japan? Um, it's like to Japanese, like you know, curry, which is a very popular little thing, and then learning about the history of curry powder, right? And both, it's like culinary history and how it like transformed from where it came from, and how it made it to those countries. Like both, like from a cook, I want to learn more about how to use this ingredient, and its history also kind of informs how to use this ingredient, and why when you go back to Indian curry which is like the stews and that the different powders like garam masala, right? Like, and how maybe that has become what we know as like English curry powder, which then made it to Japan through the, um, through the trades. Um, so it's, it's definitely a conscious thing, but it's because it's fascinating. I think that's, that's all. It's just like, it's very interesting. Um, and it makes me a better cook. And I feel like it makes me feel smart. <laughs> <laughs> no, definitely, and you guys. 
Just don't bash people over the heads with it too much. I feel like that's the only. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, it's it's definitely annoying when I tell my partner about it. She's like, "The well, it tastes good. Yeah, shut up. Like, shut up." Um, it's funny you're saying that because one of the other things I'm looking at, because uh, it seems like okay, something when you're picking a collection of short stories is yeah. I'm not going to be able to be like, oh, do you like this one because of that? Because it's more broad than that. It, and it, it seems more a reflection of the author in some ways than, especially in this case, because it's a combination of fiction, nonfiction, essays, it looks like. So it's just kind of all over the place. So yeah. I guess it's a bit more of a reflection of just the author is who you're vibing with as much as maybe the individual stories in a way, because yeah. you liked it. Um, do you know much about old Borges? Jorge Luis uh, no, Borges? I, I only looked up a little bit of his history um, and the, his sort of political views. Uh, when I was just like refreshing myself on the book because I haven't read it for like three years. Mm-hmm. Uh, besides, like coming back to a couple of the stories, right? Um, so, did, like, because one of the things that stands out straight away is like he's renowned for being uh, extremely uh, well read, very broad, and ah, okay. as well. And like he's he's he, but like apparently he doesn't bash you over the head with it as much as like subtly reference it constantly throughout his yeah. stuff. Um, whether it's in setting or in tone, I'm not, I'm not exactly sure about that side of things, but it's kind of funny <laughs> that you know, you're liking him and you got your own, uh, your own attempt at that, I guess a little bit. I just, I just feel like I had gone through my early twenties and I just didn't know anything. I think when you enter, especially entering like the workforce, cause you don't notice that in uni cause like people from school don't know anything. So you're, you're like talking to people who are your age and you're like, yeah, we all know the same video games, the same, like. 50 video games, right? Basically, right? But um, I think one there was a couple of game directors that said, like, the most important thing you can do as, like, a game director to make more interesting work is to be well-read outside of games. Um, so I apply that to, to film and I apply that to reading and I apply that to eating and I apply that to, um, to gardening, to hobbies, right? Like, so it's just, it's just, like, get a better understanding of the world around you so that you can, like, make more interesting things. Mm. And con- yeah. I guess connect more with, uh, make more fun connections with everything as well. And yeah, yeah. Um, and present something like, I, I guess through our work, um, not innovation, because that word is kind of meaningless, but um, showing something new is very important to our studio as part of our culture and bringing some, some, a new experience to the user, with the audience, the player, whatever you want to call them. Um, both because we know that we can't compete on value, like on production values, like we're not a hundred person, thousand person studio, but you know, the, the value of a small team is that we're agile and we're able to um, try new things and actually like push the boundaries of what the, either the medium could be or this genre could be, or this story could be. Um, so in part of trying to come up with new things, you need to like, you need to see more than they're like my worldview when I came into university was I've played these games and I've read some fantasy novels basically. Right. Um, ah. And it was, it's really constraining. <laughs> like when you're like, I'm you trying to make something new and all I'm, all I'm thinking about is all I'm thinking about is the games that I've played before me. Mm. Right. So that's uh yeah. So, so you're like, I want to expand and get a, uh, yeah. You want to see more than that. Yeah. I want, and I think the medium deserves more. I mean, we're very young and we haven't produced a lot of really interesting works yet. Are you, well, as the medium, you mean? Yeah. Really? It's very, very, well, I mean, I think it's very young compared to literature or compared to film even. Well, I mean, yeah. It's, yeah. it's, it's about 45 years, 50 years. No, yeah. Since the 70s. So we're talking uh, 
yeah, 50 years. Yeah. And so I guess, uh, actually, on that note, because you are talking about, uh, and again, you've got your fine art degree, so you've got an appreciation for the art. So when would you say, what are you, would you say is an example then of the notable works of gaming, I guess? Of games? Yeah, of games. If you're someone on the inside, what would you say stand out from your artistic lens? I think Spelunky is one of the best games ever made right now. Spelunky? The best. Not necessarily even my favorite. Like, I'm not going to go back and play it constantly. Um, never- and it has, it has deep flaws, right? It's a, it's a game of its time. Derek Yu, the creator, is aware of those flaws, right? And it's got, like... It has like tonal things and thematic things that haven't aged well. Even they were dated even when the game came out. But um, its ability to tell a player story through gameplay is um, astonishing, uh, and its its depth of um, emotion you can experience just by playing this simple simulation of cave diving um, is really incredible. Really, and it doesn't set up to it doesn't set up to tell a, a complex story. Because um, I'm weirdly one of those people who don't think games are exceptional at that yet. Mm-hmm. We haven't quite figured out how to do that still. Um, so an example I'll point to as a game does tell a really good story in a way that I think games are very good at is, and this is only like really kind of recent, uh, is The Outer Wilds um, is a game that's stuck with me really deeply. And it's a game about um, exploring a tiny universe and learning its history Um and you find remnants of people who have traveled through these spaces in writing they live around. But the light, the writing is in these tiny fragments. So between like sentences at most, you find in like a, you find a wall and it's got a couple of sentences on it. And it's like what the people at this location were thinking at that time or what they wrote down at this time. And they're able to build up this extensive history as this fascinating story about the death of a universe um, in a game where all you do is uh, fly around a little spaceship, land on little planets and explore. Now, there's, there's more to it, but, like, I think it, it tells a better story than most games, um, and it tells it in a way that I think no other medium could. Um, and you get to experience it. As- like, it tells an asynchronous story controlled by the user, um, and you get to have, on top of that, these interesting gameplay experiences that lead extra, uh, leave, like, extra um, weight to significance and to those things. So there's a section of the game where you're trying to, like, if you try to finish the game, you'll have to achieve this, right? At some point, you have to go into one of these caverns. The cavern fills up with sand, and you can die in the process of trying to get there, and you'll have to try again because uh, the game is in a 20-minute loop. Um, and um, there's little snippets of the story along that path to get there, and once you get... you, If you can get through the cave filling with sand... Um, you find out at the other side what happened at this location. Um, and the fact that I got crushed by the sand like five times trying to get there is different to someone else who like, it's like, it was a B, it was a hard journey for me to find this like one nugget of information. Cause at the end of the day, I'm just trying to find information. Um, and, but getting there in the first place, someone else might get there and one try. Right. And for them, that's not important, but they might struggle somewhere else or they might not ever find something else in the world. So they, they might just be missing some critical information or maybe even some small information that tells you about this one character and they, they where they lived off in this corner. Because um, there is in, there's important stuff and there's incidental stuff that just leads to world building, right? Yeah. Um, and I think that's what games excel at and I want to see more stuff 
that yeah is takes advantage of the fact that the the user has a lot of agency within the work mm. to explore it on their own terms. Right, that's um, yeah. I mean that that's actually yeah. Uh, in terms of world building, I guess there's a capacity for it in gaming that isn't as possible in any other format. The only other format I think that does a really good job is comics and TV, um, and it's the serial nature of them. I guess like radio shows as well, um, where um, they're not as concerned with telling a big thing. Like they're not they're not as concerned with uh, delivering one epic story like a film would be, or maybe even a short book would be. Um, I guess a series of novels will do this as well. Um, but it's like when you're more concerned with details um, and the details in the world are more important to you than the story itself. Mm. Um, I think games is just very good at that. It's funny you're uh, uh, you're saying this. It just makes me think, because I've actually had some thoughts about this recently. Um, it's a form of escapism, like these creating these other realities. And you mentioned being a fantasy buff younger. And I would say that, fantasy just that's all i've read i've read very little Uh, that's all you've read okay but uh because fantasy is i think the the like apotheosis whatever you want to call it of um escapism of creating a world that's on its own because they're so long as well some of the series it's like that's the one that really spends time doing that sort of thing so it's interesting you kind of started off there and this is your well i mean escapism was a big deal to me when I was a kid. Like I played a lot of world of Warcraft when I was in like 16 ish, 17 ish. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess like thinking back on that though, that that's a weird one where like, it's a fantasy game and it has story and it has a world, but the most important thing in that game is the other people. Right. So the world is a backdrop for you to play out your little theater performance with your other friends. or your people you don't know. Right. Mm-hmm. And was that, um, um, uh, is that just because like you were kind of like you mentioned already you had to drive an hour to get anywhere so is that kind of part of the appeal of why you kind of did that Um, I think it was the place in time where I was like with my friend groups at the time like I had a friend that I played WoW with instead but he would like come over to my house and then we would play for like a couple of days <laughs> over the weekend or something Um, and then play with people over in other parts of the country Um, yeah I mean like I wasn't that isolated it's not like I was out in like Broken Hill <laughs> Um, the Outer West is, like, isolated, but not in the way that the country is isolated, but it's more isolated than the city is isolated. Mm. Um, I think it was just the way where I was in my life and what I wanted to be doing uh, with my time. And I just wanted something to uh, escape into, right? Um, and a lot of the, I weirdly, I only had one real-life friend who I played that game with. Mostly I was playing with people I didn't know. Um, right. I think there's weirdly, a, I think there's a value in that. At least there was a value to me for sure, where because they weren't real people to me, I mean, they were real people, obviously, um, it was it was a pure alternate reality, right? Um, because I got all the value of a social life and all the value out of a, a real life without having to deal with the one around me. Um, this is sounding like, so it was, <laughs> this is a bit... I, I don't know how personal I'm going here with that. Like, was that something like because of your settings at the time, you kind of wanted that an alternate reality? I definitely wanted that at the time. Yeah. Is that for anything like, was there anything? I, I think I was just depressed in high school. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We don't have to go into it, but I was just depressed in high school. Yeah. That's, I mean, that, I mean, again, uh, teenage years are hard for everyone. So I just, that's why I was wondering yeah. if it's something which was standing out and you're like, oh yeah, it was this, or is it just a general like, yeah. Feeling of disconnection then, I guess. I don't know. Def- definitely disconnected. Um, I don't 
like looking back on it now, like I'm not friends with anyone from my school anymore. Um, and I don't know if it's because of where I grew up and the values that were instilled on the kids around me and what their goals in life became. Um, but I'm not like, I know one or two of them still vaguely and I'm not close with anyone. Um, and like most of my friends were people that I met through work. Now my, most of my friends aren't even some uni people. It's like people I met through work who are like either older than me <clears throat> or just starting out. Um, and it's just, uh, it's like a value alignment kind of problem. Mm. So is that something you felt uh, growing up? Just, I mean, I can kind of guess some of the values that were going around. <laughs> like I mean, it's it's the outer west of Sydney. <laughs> like it's 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 like it's gonna be white collar Bogan town. Yeah, like you can kind of imagine what it was like in the early two thousands. There, we the most exciting thing that ever happened in that area was we had the first Krispy Kreme in Australia. Oh, okay. You yeah, I, it's not the way, but like you went to <laughs> that was an event. Yeah, right. Oh, man, it was huge everywhere, that, fir- that first cruise when you had to drive like an hour to get there. Well, for us, for you, it was around the corner by the sound of it. It was around. It was 20 minutes away. Oh, right. That's not around the corner. Pem- I live 20 minutes from Penrith. Yeah. Okay, right. So, that's yeah, that's pretty good. Um, did you? So, it's funny you saying that, actually, because I'm wondering, like, would you now, looking back, because, I mean, you're almost hitting that cliche in some ways of the guy who, like, uh, you know, the classic teenager uh, escaping into video games because they don't want to deal with the reality around them. But in some ways, it sounds like that wasn't an unhealthy thing. Like, as in, how would you feel about that? Or- I, I think my life would have been very bad if I had stayed in that town and I had tried to absorb myself with the people around me and then maybe get a job in that area. I was very fortunate that I was accepted into university before I got my first job in school. Again, I was also very fortunate that I didn't have to work through my teenage years. Mm. Um, I, got a, I got a job at Domino's for like six weeks before I moved to Melbourne. So my parents were like, you can't just like enjoy your holiday. You have to work. Yeah. I'm like, Damn it. It's <laughs> like, oh, terrible. We're finding the plenty of this. You're gonna have to do it. You're like, all right, fine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, I, yeah, I don't. I think it was definitely a good thing. Yeah. That, um, that's, that's what's interesting. You're saying that because, like, I think the classic picture of the 15 year old or something who's you know sitting inside playing World of Warcraft and mainly has friends online is like one of the cliche. I'm saying. I'm not saying it's definitely the cliche. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like- I, I was that cliche. I, I think the person I was in high school was exactly the cliche. But you're saying actually it was a good thing because I think for the situation I was in. Mm. Um, that being said, at that period of time when I was playing like a lot of video games, because like I, I kind of went in and out of like I play like an hour a day or I play nothing or I'll play like five hours a day, even on weekdays. Like I would come home, do my homework, um, and then I would immediately start playing games mm. all night. We've all been addicted um, until to Skyrim. Like 2 a.m. I know what that's like. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Fortunately, I was at uni at the time, so I could only play like a little bit, mm-hmm. like 100 hours, not like 1,000 hours. Um, it, uh, I definitely was less creative during that period of time, though. Mm. Um, it's funny. I've kind of been drawn back to making MMO-like experiences. I've wanted to make MMOs for a while, which is a painful process of being an indie and realizing you just can't. Um, so we're talking about massively multiplayer online games where like a lot of players get together somewhere and uh, it's, it's in the name. But like the, the, <laughs> I know, right. It's massively <laughs> multiplayer. The, uh, the translation from what me playing World of Warcraft to what I'm making now, like we made a title called Feather in, um, we made it in 2016, but it didn't get released fully until for 2019, I think. Yeah, that's right. 2019. Uh-huh. And then the, 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 um, the, the console release came out in 2020. Um, and Feather is basically an MMO. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, Feather is a game where you play as a bunch of birds. You just are a bird, like a real bird, not like a gamey bird or anything. Um, you fly around a big world and there are other birds there who are other players. Um, and like an MMO, you don't control who joins your room. You just are in the space with them. Um, and it's a social experience with no words. Um, I think that's that's the through line, at least, of like the value from that me being obsessed with these um, parasocial experiences or these social experiences. I mean, you are engaging, came- so I don't think it's parasocial as much. Yeah. Well, but then the guild leaders, like, you're kind of like a big fan of them, you know. They kind of talk to you, but not a lot. I don't know if you ever rated in WoW, but like, there's a, there's a hierarchy. Oh, no, see, I never played um, it. I've never, I've actually never played WoW in my life. I uh, avoided it. But it's just like being part of a different social circle because once you get into a guild, there's the guild leaders, the, the people who are friends with the guild leaders, and then you're maybe the fresh kid who like is like, I'll contribute, and then you just do whatever they tell you to do because they sound older than you. Mm-hmm. Um, you get you get the full rung of social experience uh, playing an MMO once you get into rating. Um. But yeah, like it was coincident. Like I didn't set out. We didn't set out to make Feather like that. Um, multiplayer came in two weeks before we released the first version of the game. Before then, it was a completely isolated single player experience, mm. um, and it was just a relaxation game. Like it was just like I meant to be. Like enjoy this beautiful world and spend time here. Um, but then it became like a whole different thing. Like our Discord community for the Feather, there's people saying like, "Oh, I was playing last night. I saw this crow. I hope you had a nice night. You know, stay safe out there." And they'll just like send each other these little messages because they can't communicate in game. Yeah. But they, they, they start to find ways to meet each other or to talk to each other. Um, That's great. Yeah. That's <laughs> um, really. So I guess I made that MMO in the end. Yeah. 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 And it's funny. Like it's such a community. <laughs> I'm going to go. Out. Let me, let me take a couple of jumps in one second with things. <laughs> Growing up, you couldn't find that community in the actual community you were in because they, it wasn't available being in the outer west. So then you developed it a little bit online and now you've gotten to the point where you're creating it for other people in a way. Is that yeah. It? We're trying to like get that in the office as well. I, th- I don't think that's a big jump. Hmm. Um, it's uh, like, that's the kind of like cultivating the right, the people around us at the, at the team and people who we, we, we have described ourselves as a cult on multiple occasions. Um, but it's like a family. It's a, it's, it's tough because it's a work environment as well, right? You have to balance those two things out, but <clears throat> cultivating people who are part of that sort of like, team it's team over company i guess like it's like we're a group of people who are just we like to hang out and we like to chat and we like to um play stuff together or work and we like to work together and we like working on the same things mm. um and just like doing all this work to just all like because all we're trying to do is just cultivate these like new ex- new spaces and find people who align with our goals and our visions nice that's really sweet <laughs> um Trying to think if there's anything else I can add in for the labyrinth side of the things. Oh, okay. One more. Just because just, just we've got to add in some more labyrinth side talk on this. <laughs> we've gone off topic so much. Um, the other side of his stuff as well, which I, I – it sounds like, again, because I haven't read him, so you, you have to tell me, but even from what you described in that short story you mentioned, uh, he's quite weird mm. in his storytelling, quite, quite out there in terms of uh, like – magical realism i guess but goes quite extreme with it in some ways i'm trying to find out who wrote a thousand years of solitude uh or hundred years of solitude uh, manuel garcia uh, similar part of the world different different writer yeah that was magical realism i guess yeah yeah that's that's exactly that's a that that one's much more subtle though that one's very uh, if you've read it that's quite 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not that. Uh, um, I also enjoyed that book a lot. I, yeah, I thought it was really, really good. That was a. It was. It's. I feel like it's reasonably like it is there, but it feels quite subtle. But it's not someone inventing a human being and then finding out that they were. No, bad. <laughs> it's not quite the same. <laughs> yeah. So is that is that like style? Does that appeal to you, or is that like? And is that something that inflicts how you like? I guess because I guess that's almost a literary version of sort of surreal stuff so like is that something that yeah a star that appeals to you in general like you like I, twisting i really reality? like it because it tends to do a really good job of um exposing different concepts you know in both an interesting way because they're like they're like stimulating to read because they like are presenting you with something that is close to your reality but slightly different mm-hmm. right um that's what a lot of uh Borges work right in um labyrinths is like they're still real things like the library of babel it's a library you know what a library is it's just really big there's lots of it it's infinite um it had he presents these ideas that are then beyond what you know um and that is daunting uh so i think because they are drawing on a real place still or a real thing you're able to make the connection and make like you're just able to get a little bit closer to getting some sort of meaning out of it whereas like you know a sci-fi writer who's making like soft sci-fi not hard sci-fi right and they're talking about a distant planet and alien race. You still, even though you draw parallels, and they do really good jobs at this, right? A lot of sci-fi writers are really good at drawing parallel, using using an, another species to draw a parallel between the human race and how we've either colonized someone or uh, destroyed our planet, right? Or are going to, or in the process of destroying our planet. Um, and but you still have to make a lot more jumps to get there. Um, so I think either they're more successful. Magical realism can be more successful at achieving that because it's more straightforward mm. or um, uh, it's just easier to digest, I guess. Yeah. For more people. And yeah. They, uh, yeah. I guess. And, 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 and give, being able to give someone that's so close to what they experience, but then twisting it, I guess that just makes it stand out in a weird way more. Yeah. yeah. I think so. Just for me, for sure. Oh, nice. Okay. Um, I think we should call it there. We've had a, it's been a really great chat. Firstly, do you do you feel like you've found any new connections between yourself and the work labyrinths from the build up? I think so. Um, I like I I I never really thought a lot about why it stuck out to me so much. To be honest, like besides the fact that it just kept coming up whenever I had to show someone something cool or like (laughs) an idea, it it, it was evocative, right? Mm. Um, And once once it gets into your head, like it's like an earworm, like a song that you can't let go. It's just there forever. It's a concept work. All right. Um, cool. Well, uh, last thing is, do you want to give a shout out? Anyone want to follow you or the company or anything who's listening to um, us? Yeah. If they want to check out our work, like samuraipunk.com has everything that we've done to date. Uh, it's got our store. It's got all our games. Um, I'm on Twitter. I'm just NicholasMC1 uh, on most places. Um, I've made a bunch of other games on top of the company stuff that you can play for free on itch as well um, that I don't link on my account and I probably should. <laughs> Uh, but it's the same username on each as well. So if you want to find me there, um, but yeah, check out Samurai Punk stuff. I think we, I think we do a good job of trying to make some interesting games. Not all of them succeed, um, but they're all weird and they're all different. So that, I think that's we achieved that at least. I, I like that a lot. That's exactly that's a good goal to have. Um, I all right, well, awesome. Thanks very much for being on, Nick. Uh, we'll leave it there. So yeah, okay. cheers. Thanks for having me. It was really fun. No worries. <laughs>
Thanks for listening. If you want to help support this show and all the other shows we do here at Sans Pants Radio, then why not subscribe to SansPantsPlus.com? For as little as $5 a month, you could have access to a whole bunch of bonus shows and content. Once again, that's SansPantsPlus.com.